0: guys. <clears throat> one little uh, fun fact about my beautiful daughter, who has uh, ravished my heart from day one. Um, <clears throat> the little gown she was wearing was actually uh, Christie's gown when she was baptized 38 years ago. Um, so it's kind of special. I don't know. Did you make that or did your mother? You did? Yeah. So Tony uh, actually handcrafted it. So, um, you know, in our day, it's very hipster. You know, everything's got to be handcrafted. You know, None of this store-bought stuff. Uh, we make it ourselves. So uh, really a special day. Thank you for uh, all your kind words, and happy Mother's Day again. And um, if you have a uh, Bible, we're going to uh, continue our series in the book of Colossians, uh, book of Colossians. We're going to actually be in chapter 2, finally. So we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Um, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you in your chair. Uh, so Colossians chapter 2, uh, kind of towards the back of the, the New Testament. And uh, I'm going to read that, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the message this morning. This is a a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to... Um, really a kind of a group of groupings of churches kind of in a region so it's not one specific uh, church necessarily but some churches that he had planted but he's in prison and so he's actually writing from prison this letter to encourage and build up this young body of believers and uh, you can imagine uh, the first century they're they're figuring things out who is this Christ what's going on a lot of suffering a lot of turmoil and so Paul is writing them a letter to build up their faith and encourage them in the faith and so in Colossians chapter 2, we're just going to read the first seven verses and, uh, and go from there. Here's what it says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to each to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As we listen to your word, God, what what a grace that you've given us, that you're a speaking God who speaks to us primarily through the scriptures, that we can hear your will, your desires, your heart this morning, Um, and, and yet we need to be receptive to that. We can resist that. We can push against that. So help us not just be hearers of the word, but also be doers. Help us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts and minds to receive and hear and apply And obey what you have for us this morning, I pray. In my weakness, you would be strong. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the uh, iconic film, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade... um, There is a great scene where Indiana, and if you're familiar with the the series Indiana Jones, one of my favorites, I'm an 80s kid, so just really dug Indiana Jones. I actually went to the Lakewood Mall, you don't know what that is, but that's in California, and I remember waiting uh, to see the last crusade, me and a buddy, we got in, last two seats, in the right corner, sitting in the very front row with our heads like this. Like, this is awesome. And, you know, our necks were, you know, uh, messed up for the rest of the week. But, um, but, but that's here or there. And, and in the film, what you see is, is Indiana's going on this mission, and they have this stone tablet. And as you look at this stone tablet, you know, he's doing what Indiana Jones does, and he goes through, and, and he tries to discern what it's saying. But there's a piece of that tablet missing in the, in the top corner and they can't figure out what the mission is because they need the, the little piece of that stone tablet. And so they're going to go on a mission to actually find the the rest of the tablet so they can get to the... Um, and then there's really bad um, biblical history in the Indiana Jones, just so you know, that Jesus had a, you know, there was a cup filled with his blood. That didn't really happen, and it's the cup that he drank out of in the Lord's Supper. That's all hogwash, but that's okay. Steven Spielberg is a Jew. He doesn't know. Um, but, you know... Um, but it's an iconic film and it's a treasure that, 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 that all those films are about finding this treasure, finding where X marks the spot. And what's interesting about Paul's letter the last couple weeks, and it all ties to Indiana Jones, is that there's a treasure that he's unveiling, that he's revealing to this young church that has been hidden for some time. There's these promises that have been made and now it's been revealed. And we saw that last week in chapter uh, one. If you remember, he's talking about this treasure in Christ, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 25, "...of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To then God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." And we see that here the, this morning, this this full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, who whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so, in the Old Testament, they kept talking about this Messiah that was going to come, this Messiah who would who would reveal finally what the universe is really about, and this plan of redemption, and this this Maker. We would actually see him face to face in the person. Of Christ, And that's why John's Gospel talks that way. In, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. We, we actually saw the glory of God revealed to us in Christ. Here's our Maker. Here's our Redeemer. Here's where everything has been headed. All wisdom and knowledge and understanding are found in the person and work of Christ. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just ideas and doctrine, but in a person is revealed the way, the truth, and the life. And so... Paul is encouraging this young church about all these treasures that if you want to know what life is really about, you you want to know where it's all headed, you want to know what went wrong with you, and you want to know how redemption is going to come, and you want to know how all the injustices in the universe are going to be made right, well, it's all found in the person and work of Christ. All wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding are found in him. And so I want to just spend a few moments uh, this morning looking at these seven verses and the way in which Paul is trying to encourage this, this young church, this baby church in the faith. Because, because we know, as we've said a couple times, is that, that there's these, these false teachers that are coming into the church and saying, Hey, I know that you believe in Christ. I know that you're, you're Christians. You're following this Christ. But, you know, there, there are other things that maybe you need to add to your, your, your faith. That, that Maybe there's, there's some, some other kind of special knowledge or maybe some other kind of special wisdom or maybe there's some ritual that you need to do so that you can be made right with God. And, and, and if you're like me, there's times where you feel like, you know, m- maybe there is more I need to do. I mean, can God really be happy with me just by trusting in him and what he's done for me? Is there something I need to add to my faith to make me right with God? Is there something that, that, that I need to do so that, that he would somehow love me just a little bit more? And that's what they're, they're facing in this, this young church. And, and yet Paul wants to encourage them to say, don't buy into the lies. It's grace alone. It's faith alone. It's in the work of Christ, not your own. Regardless of what people are saying outside that are coming into the church and trying to lead, lead you astray. And, and so... When we think about his encouragement, the first thing that he talks about, Paul, to encourage this is a plea for unity, a plea for unity. We see that in the first couple of verses there. He says he's struggling, how I, I struggle, you know, uh, for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, struggling so much that he ended up in prison. I mean, I'd say that's a pretty big struggle. He wants this faith to be so established and so rooted and so mature, as as we said last week, he wants it to to be perfected and whole, that he's willing to go to prison for it. He says, and then in verse 2, "...that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of fullness, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ Jesus." So so he's saying, I'm loving, I'm laboring, I'm suffering, I'm working, I'm going to prison. Why? So that your hearts may be encouraged, that you'd be knit together in love, that you'd reach the full assurance of understanding and knowledge in Christ Jesus. You could say it this way. His plea is a united and encouraged heart, growing in assurance of the knowledge, mystery, and wisdom in Christ. That's what he wanted for that church, that baby church. And that's what, reading the scriptures 2,000 years ago, that's what God would want for us. That we would be a united front. You know, pa- uh, Andy talked about you know, differences in baptism and things like that. Like, like what's supposed to unite us is not our views on eschatology or baptism or how we pray or expression of worship or what I wear in the pulpit or, or what denomination we're a part of. But ultimately, what Paul was pleading for in this young baby church was, is Christ your all in all? Is Christ what centers you? Is Christ your grounding? Is Christ the the heartbeat of your church? Is it the thing that you're going after? Or is it some other tertiary thing? And some of us have at times grown up in churches where we've been split over things. And a lot of times they're not even biblical things. They're just cultural things. Well, you can't wear a hat in church, heaven forbid. You can't dance. I mean, if you dance, that's, that's... you are got to go to hell. I mean, R-rated movies, right? I mean, whatever it is. We put these cultural expectations on, but the thing that should unite us and what Paul is praying for is a, a unity around the love of God and the love of each other about the gospel, the thing that grounds us and gives us a trajectory to go straight ahead together, locking arms. And that's been his prayer for them. Now, against the backdrop of these false teachers, it makes totally, total sense. We, saw, we see that in verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We'll get to that in just a moment. So so there's these false teachers coming and saying, yeah, I know Christ is all you need, but you know, there's a little bit more. You can add a little bit more. Right? Maybe some Jewish customs. Maybe some, you know, some secret knowledge that you can have. And then maybe you'll be in... But he's saying, no, 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 the thing that's got to unite us, the thing that's got to keep us centered, the thing that's going to make your church healthy and strong is Christ and Christ alone. He's the head of the church. He's the maker of the universe. He's the redeemer and reconciler of all things, as we've looked at in Colossians. And so he's pleading because there are going to be voices, there's going to be false gospels, there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to come into the church that are going to try to shipwreck your faith, but don't believe the news, don't believe the noise. So, so, what does he mean by this riches of assurance? Going back to the Indiana Jones analogy, these treasures, these hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Why does he seem to camp out on that the last couple, couple weeks? Like, where does this wisdom and this understanding come from? I mean, it, it's all in Christ. Like, that's all we need is, is Christ has all those things. Well, no, well, notice the way Paul talks about it. notice the way the scriptures talk about it. And, and if you back up just a couple of verses in Colossians 1 at the end there, in 28 him repro- reproclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so so Paul's message, the apostles' message was Christ. It was Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, Christ as the wisdom of God. That that God, that in Christ God is the wisdom of God. All understanding, all maturity, all life is found in this Christ. He didn't he didn't have a message that was just, "Hey, just believe on Jesus and go to go to heaven when you die and, and avoid hell." That's not his message. His message is actually in this Christ is the wisdom of God for everything in your life. That the whole universe is wrapped up in Christ. That if you want to make sense of the universe and ultimate reality and and how things are and why things fall apart and why there's sin and injustice and and, and why things happen to to people that that, that it shouldn't happen to, if you want to make sense of any of that, look to Christ. That's how big and robust his message is. (laughs) But see, we've shrunk it down to just this: believe and get out of get out of hell, 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 uh, card. Uh, I'm not saying that well. Get out of hell free. Is that what I'm trying to say? And so we don't think Christ has any wisdom or any knowledge or any understanding to give us on how to go to work on Monday, or how to raise our kids, or how to think about the world and culture and right. But we don't. We don't see Christ that way. We, 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 Christ is the wisdom of God. He's the, he's the Lord of all creation. He's the Lord of all cultures. He's the smartest, wisest man that ever lived. Now, he's not just a man. He's fully God. But a lot of times we don't think of Christ like that. But, but think about back in the Gospels. If you're familiar with the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how many times when, when Jesus is preaching, they, they pause and they go, I've never heard anything like this before who is this man, right? I mean, that's why he got killed. I mean, they're going, I've never heard anyone talk like this. I mean, there seems like there's a wisdom, there's a love, there's a grace there. Like, who is this? He speaks with authority. Like, who is this guy? It's because it's the wisdom of God incarnate in the flesh. So you want to know how the world works? You want to know how reality works? You don't want to see how people come raised from the dead? I'll show you. I know how all the atoms work. I know how death works. I know how life works. I know how creation works because I, I created all things, <laughs> And so this Christ, as Paul's message and the apostles' message, is a, is a, a deep treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And, and then even if you, we back up, we, went, we saw this a couple of weeks ago in verse 9, chapter 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Same deal. In Christ, that you would understand all the multiple implications and realities of this God and what He's done and how He's come in the flesh and what the cross means and the resurrection and all those those things. I think in the scriptures there are a couple other ways we see Christ's wisdom on display. We see Christ's wisdom in the law, the commands of God. Um, Psalm nineteen. A lot of times we just think, well, the commands are just so I can live a miserable life and you know, not have any fun, and, and it just, it's just oppressive in this. But notice the way the psalmist talks about the, the commands of God, the law of God. In Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous together, more to be desired than they are gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the driplings of the honeycomb. Moreover, my by them in your servant warned and keeping with those is a great reward. Like, what? Like, he talks about God's commands, like dripping honey and yummy, right? H- how can he talk like that? I thought God's commands were just, a, just he's just the joy kill. He's just, he wants to make your life miserable. But, but you see, when we, when we just plant down just for a moment, you begin to realize the psalmist was tapping into something to say that the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul because as I live in, in God's commands and as I live according to ultimate reality, that's what the commands are for, to say that if you try to live outside of God's will and God's wisdom and God's way, it just goes bad for you often. But saying if you actually live within it, there's some great joy to be had, isn't there? A lot of us could say that. We could say, yes, amen. When, when I try to live my life apart from God's will and God's ways, it just goes bad often. And, and they're gushing over these commands because they understand the command giver. That's why the psalmist always talks that way. It's like honey on my lips, like do not commit adultery, do not lie. It's just like honey on my lips. Well, why does he, why does he think that way And the, all these commands? Because he understands the command giver is a loving, gracious, merciful father who wants good for us. And so the commands don't become this joy kill of how it's supposed to oppress my life. It's actually meant to free your life. Because we always think, well, if, if you know, I'm not a Christian, I'm just living free, I don't have religion, I don't have all this stuff, but here's the reality. You're just enslaved to everything else. that's why the Bible talks about enslavement. We're we're, we're either enslaved servants to God or we're enslaved to sin and everything else. How's that freedom? It's not freedom. Enslavement to my job. Enslavement to performance. Enslavement to being something. Enslavement to voting a certain way. Enslavement to to the earth. Enslavement to my friends. Enslavement to culture. Enslavement to being on the right side of history. Enslavement for voting for the right candidate. Enslavement to my cause. Enslavement, right? That's not Freedom. It's enslavement. Because here's the reality. What I know about you and what I know about me is I stink at even keeping my own commands and my own laws that I, that, I get, that I have for myself, right? Like, it's almost embarrassing. Like, well, I think this is how you should live your life, and I think like this, and then you put my life next to it, I go, geez, I'm not even good at that. Well, I'm, you know, smart and educated and well-read and this things, and then I realize, like, man, I just really love Netflix more than I should. I haven't read a book in a week. Right, It's like we have this hard time. We set up these laws and these commands for ourselves, and we're not even good at keeping those. And so one of the the things, that the wisdom of God that comes to us is through God's commands and God's laws, because he's saying, if you want joy, you want life, you want your soul to be revived, it's found in me, and following me, and trusting me, because I'm a good heavenly father. We see God's wisdom revealed in in creation, the ordering of things. Job Job 28 um, talks about that. Um, or job if you want to pronounce it that way, but um, it's Job. So Job is, is, is reflecting on the wisdom of God. In uh, Job 28, verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it's not found in the land of the living. The deep says it's not in me, and the sea says it's not with me. It cannot be brought for gold. The silver cannot be weighed. And as you keep reading through this, he he's basically just keeps deflecting, saying you can't look inward to find wisdom. You can't look to the creation itself and find wisdom. You can find a hint of it, as Romans 1 would say, that it's revealed the knowledge of God, the invisible attributes, his power, the ordering of the seasons, right? All these things that we see and we go, holy cow, something's going on there. I don't know exactly what it is, but something's ordered out there. But he says, but there's also a limitation to it that is pointing beyond itself to the God of all wisdom, ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ. And how history goes whether it's good or bad God is not out of control and then I think one of the the ultimate ways we see wisdom is is in the cross of Christ because it goes against our human nature on every level doesn't it so you're telling me God is going to redeem and reconcile and restore all things all the things that have gone wrong and restore us by a Messiah 2000 years ago dying on a cross and raising from the dead like that's how that's going exactly how that's going Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So he's like, you can't even just pursue wisdom on the sake of, of wisdom to to even find God. Um And. I lost my place. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So he's saying even the, 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 the tiniest little bit of wisdom man has, God's wisdom's even that much greater. That the cross doesn't make sense, but that's exactly the, the reason, that's the way we couldn't have thought it up, right? Like we know it's not from, from from man. Like if this is just a man made tale, it makes no sense on any human level. It's irrational. That doesn't make sense. Because if I'm a human, if, if God's gonna save me and God's gonna redeem me, it's gonna involve I don't wanna to listen to you, I wanna do whatever I wanna to, wanna to do and I wanna eat a lot of chicken wings. Is that in the plan? I don't, wanna, I don't want any kind of control over me. I just want to live my, my life and do what I want to do. But the wisdom of God say it's totally backwards, Ryan. Do you don't understand? To have life, someone has to die. To have your sins for forgiven and atoned for, someone has to pay for it, and you can't. There has to be a, a perfect sacrifice, a, a righteous sacrifice, because you just fail all the time and you fall short of God's commands all day long. Someone has to take your place. You can't do it yourself because the wisdom of God is always backwards and his kingdom is always backwards. You find life by losing your life. Huh? But no, you're actually gaining your life at the same time. Your true life, your true humanity in Christ, the one who made you, the one who redeemed you. It's it's more blessed to give than to receive. Like, there's so much truth in that, right? And we all know that's true on one level, right, when Jesus says that? Because I just feel terrible when I help other people. Just awful. Ugh. Okay, I'll help you. Jeez. It's always that weird thing, right? You know what I'm talking about? You try to be, like, selfless, right? You're just like, I'm going to help this person, I'm going to serve this person, and and it's all for them, right? But then you're just like, man, I feel kind of good about that. I think that's from God. It's because that's how he's wired things the servant who comes, who lays his life down for his sheep, his people, who takes the form of a servant, right? The whole universe is built on that. that it's more blessed to give than receive, giving ourselves away. Sacrificial love looks like a cross. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. So the wisdom of God, that what Paul is pleading for this unity for this young church is that they would be grounded in God, that they would know that all wisdom, all knowledge, all love, all encouragement, all is found in Christ, that you can't go outside of that. And that's why, secondly, well, before I get to that, I had a, I had a quote for you. Um, Jonathan Edwards um, commenting on, on Christ uh, in a sermon called The Excellencies of Christ. He was a preacher in the late uh, 1700s, early 1800s. Here's what he says about, about Christ. There do meet in Jesus Christ infinite highness and infinite condensation. Christ as he is God is infinitely great and high above all. He is higher than the kings of the earth for he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is higher than the heavens and higher than the highest angels of heaven. So great is he that all men, all kings and princes and are worms of the dust before him. All nations are as the drop of the bucket and the light dust of the balance. I don't even know what that means. That's me talking, not him. Yea, and angels themselves are as nothing before him. He is so high that he is infinitely above any need of us above our reach that we cannot be profitable to him, and above our conceptions that we cannot comprehend him. Proverbs 34, what is his name and what is his son's name if thou can't tell? Our understandings, if we stretch them never so far, can't reach up to the divine glory. It is high as heaven, what can thou do? Christ is the creator and great professor Possessor, excuse me, of heaven and earth. He is sovereign Lord of all. He rules over the whole universe and doth whatever pleaseth him. His knowledge is without bound. His wisdom is perfect. And what none can circumvent. His power is infinite and none can resist him. His riches are immense and exhaustible. His majesty is infinitely awful. And awful is a positive attribute. It's like awesome. It's kind of like, you know, bad is good. You kids out there. You can't exhaust him. You can't fully understand him. He's the king of kings. He's lord of lords. That's the point. He's God. And that's where our our wisdom and our understanding and our knowledge, just by when we try to observe the universe and go, yeah, I think this is what's happening and this is what we need and this and that, just fails in comparison. Like it's not even close. That even in our, down to the micro level, our daily lives, moms, how to love your kids well and parent your kids well, and dads and friends and brothers and sisters and workers, that we have wisdom and understanding and knowledge from God himself. It doesn't matter whether you work in finance or you take care of kids. There's wisdom and knowledge for you to say, how do I live my life in light of this King of kings and Lord of lords? Because go read the Gospels for an afternoon, and you'll be astounded. If you want to see how to live your life, go watch how Jesus lived his life, the freest human you've ever seen. So a plea for unity centered on the person at work of Christ. And, and then as he's talking about this, he kind of just gives a little warning. It's a warning of deception. Deception. I mentioned it already in verse 4. I say this in order that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. Scholars don't really know exactly who this is or, or if it's a group of people, but somebody has come into this young church and, and basically said, you need something else other than Christ. He doesn't have all the wisdom and the knowledge that you need. There, there's something else going on. You need to go over here and you need to believe this, right? Your your faith is incomplete. And so he warns of this Deception. Now it's interesting that the way this is, is uh, phrased. I say this in order that no one may delude you, which is the same word as deceive you, with plausible arguments. Now, the way I understand this and the way kind of scholars understand this is it's just imagine someone coming into a community and and they, they kind of sound like they're Christians on face value. They may use some of the lingo, but underneath it there's something else going on. There's, you know, they may put on the religious front, they may dress a certain way, they may say the right key buzzwords, but really it's all just external and it's all just a facade. And that's what we know from history in the first century, there were a lot of these people that were taking advantage of the Christian message and using it to their, to their gain, for financial gain. And you know, good thing that doesn't happen today anymore. I mean, we're done with that, right? I mean, that's, should we just move on? Amen sense the thick heart sarcasm but someone is coming in They're 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 looking they're they're using some of the lingo but if you really want to go deep with god there's a little bit more that you need there's no unity there's no love there's no hey it's about the person at work and the the life the death of christ he has all wisdom and knowledge just look to him it's yeah. but over here there's there's something maybe you should listen so Paul's writing from prison saying, just be careful, they're coming, and they're, they might already be here in some way, shape, or form. Now, when I think about today, what what might that even look like? It's a little bit different, obviously, in the first century than, than today. I, I would say one that's very obvious that I see time and time again, just look at your, your best-selling Christian books. It's, it's a message that talks about your destiny or, or purpose in yourself. That you can, if you believe it, you know, Throw some faith at it. You can have whatever you want. You shouldn't suffer. It's kind of the health and wealth gospel. It's all over the place. Go, just go top five books, Christian books. They're typically health and wealth. Right? But you know, that doesn't help me when my daughter is dying in a hospital. I guess my faith wasn't big enough. That doesn't encourage me. That doesn't build me up. I guess I'm just a wannabe Christian then because God didn't heal my daughter who died after four days. Right? I mean I prayed for the Lamborghini, still don't have it. Guess I'm just not praying long enough. Right? I mean I mean it, it's it's but it's all comes back to you. It's it's not God, it's not his kingdom, it's not how can I die to myself? How can I love my wife better? How can I love my kids better and get over myself because I know when I die to myself there's actually freedom and joy. Yet it's always about me, my destiny, my purpose, my this this the holy trinity of me myself and I. But that's a big message in our day. And I understand, on, on some level, right? We're banged up. We need help, right? We, we want maybe a little more cash in the bank about it. Nobody's crying over that. But we also know sometimes when you get that cash, is your life any better? Not necessarily. It's got all kinds of more problems, doesn't it? More responsibilities, right? I mean, we're just like, I finally got it. and It's not as great as I thought it would be. Right? We've talked about this. I've talked to some of you in person. The dream job, right? You got the job and you're just like, yeah, not as great as I thought it would be. A little disappointing. That's how life is, right? It's shiny. It's great. And and again, nothing wrong with those. Those are God-given things. I mean, money, work, jobs, family. Amen. But when it terminates on ourselves, and the second one, what I would say, if there is no message of cross, and there is no message of sin, and there is no message of wrath, that we need to be delivered from God's wrath, and there's no personal faith, there's no grace, there's no forgiveness, there's not any of that, that's not helping you. Because at our core, the true flaw of the DNA is not, I just need a little more self-esteem. The true broken flaw of our soul is, I'm a rebel against a holy God. It wants to live my life for myself. And I need grace and forgiveness. I need mercy, right? If we're really honest, right, we just make a mess of everything. And here comes God. I mean, I love, again, I've mentioned it nine million times in eight years, but Luke 15, the prodigal, prodigal son. And if you haven't read that, that, and you haven't meditated on that long, just go there this afternoon. It might, it might help you. It helps me all the time. This you know, young rebellious son who, who goes out and squanders his father's wealth, and and, and it's hard to even fathom what Jesus is teaching there because he's he's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me your money, because in those times when the dad would die, you know, the one of the, the brothers are, um, would split the inheritance. So he's basically saying, give me the money now. I'm going to go and live my life. So he goes to Vegas, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And he's just living it up. And and this comes to the realization, he ran out of money. He doesn't know what to do. So he comes crawling back. And the father comes running out to the street. And he's throwing a party for this young, rebellious son. And he embraces him and says, "I I got a rager going on. And I killed the fatted calf. Now, to you, you just go, "Okay, we live in barbecue country. Not that big a deal. But we were talking months, maybe years, wages to throw this party. That, that meat was, was not just something you went up to high V and got. I'm throwing a huge rager. Even though you stole my money and you betrayed me. And then he gets back. But don't forget this story because we're all in the story. He gets back there and, he, and he, the older brother's there and saying, Dad, I've done everything you wanted me. I've listened to you. I, I haven't broke your commands. And you're throwing a party for your rebellious son? Are you kidding me right now? And he says those words, "Son, you, you've always been with me. You, you've always had the inheritance. It's already been yours. Why are you complaining?" And we don't know what happens to the older son. He doesn't. We're not sure if he goes into the party. He might just be still sulking outside somewhere. But you see, what's so profound about Luke 15 is that is all of us. We're, we're the rebellious kid sometimes that doesn't give a rip and just wants to live for themselves and do whatever they want, but we know it always hits a wall and it never satisfies and it doesn't deliver on his promises, so we come skirting back home with our tail between our legs going, Father, forgive me, I'm sorry, I, I, right? But then some of us go, I'm not that guy, I'm not, I'm not that woman, I, I, I'm the religious one, I'm the self-righteous one, right? I, I've done everything right, so throw me a bone, Dad. I'm the good one. I'm the moral one. But if you get really honest, you realize you're not that, that moral. Just think about what you thought about this morning, and it's like, well, jeez, yeah, i got some work to do. But here's the God of heaven and earth saying, that's what I'm like. The rebellious one, the moral one, the religious one who puts on all the fronts, the one who's just openly rebellious, they all need God's grace. And if we hear a message that is not about that God, it's not the message you and I preach. It's not the message you and I live. If it's not a God like that, we're doing something else. And that's why Paul is is reminding them this deception of, if it's adding to, if there's something, yeah, God, you know, he throws a party, but then he's like, you know, but I also need to check your ID and I need to make sure that you, you know, have enough money and you do enough, you know, um, prayers and, and you, you know, do enough Hail Marys or you do whatever, then I'll accept you. That's not the gospel. It's a gospel of grace. It's a free gift. So instead of delusion and deception, where, where do we go? And that's where Paul, that's why he tacked on this last little verse. How do we, how do, we do this? How do we live this out? What, is, what does this look like? He, and I'm just going to call it a, a walk to keep the main thing the main thing. Because notice as, as you go to 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. I mentioned last week, it was the last week or the week before, that there hasn't been a command in Colossians yet until right here. They've all been indicatives. You're already this, so live into this. And this is is one of them. Therefore, as you receive Christ, indicative, by faith, so walk in him, imperative, command, so, so you, you already have this grace. It's already yours. You received it in faith. You didn't earn it. You just received it. Just the, that's the New Testament way of saying faith. You're just trusting in it. Right? It's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> I mentioned this, I think, maybe even last week. 1 Corinthians uh, 15. I probably know this one. Probably got on a t-shirt somewhere. Maybe not. You should. 1 Corinthians 15. I can find it. i Promise. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver you as first importance that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures, and then all the eyewitness accounts. Excuse me. He's saying, you receive it. That's, that's what you do. You don't do anything to add to it. It's simply a reception, it's a gift. And then you stand in the same gift, you don't move beyond it. This is your your, your power, your center. This is what Paul's talking about in these verses. This is how we're going to stay united. As you receive it in faith, you receive this grace. You don't have to add anything to it. And this is what's going to keep you healthy and grounded and solid. Don't stray from it, right or left. But now, in light of receiving, being in Christ, now walk it out. Live for him. That's another way of saying a relationship with God. It looks like walking, following after Christ. In light of all these things, how would I live my life as I follow, follow Christ? Rooted and built up in him just as you were taught. How do you keep coming into that? Now, here's where it's so, so interesting. is that Remember, indicative, imperative. We always say at this church... You know, the gospel's not the ABCs of the faith, and we just kind of move on to deeper things. It's the A to Z of faith, what Tim Keller says. We like that little phrase. You you, you don't move beyond it. So whether you became a Christian at six and and said a prayer at your mama's side, whether you've been in the church your whole life, whether you're a crack addict and came to Christ in your teens or your 20s, you're always coming back to this. Receive him now that you've received him. Now that you're grounded in him, stand in him, right? We never move beyond that. You, you want to be rooted and built up. You don't go, now I'm moving on to deeper things. Now I just need to go to seminary. Now I need to have more knowledge in my head to, to not obey what it's already saying. He says, no, no, no. You want to know how this is? Just remember who you are. Remember where you're standing. Remember what has been done for you. Now walk in light of those things. Keep coming back and then walk it out. Keep coming back. And now walk it out. That's what Christianity is. It's not performance. See, some of us even think that after I receive Christ, now I have to just gut it up and try to like be obedient. And I gotta just, okay, okay, I'm a Christian now, I gotta do good things, I gotta, you know, I gotta, you know, be nice to people. I, I that's not how it works. Continually coming back to the foundation of we've been received. We're already received in Christ. Now in light of that, we live, we serve, we thank, we praise, we obey. But what does that look like? even more practically. Let me give you just a couple things here. First thing that's really helped me is to ask a lot of questions. What do I mean by that? Has something or someone besides Jesus Christ and his promises, his reality, taken title of my heart? Is Is there a functional trust or a preoccupation, a loyalty, a service, a fear or delight that's outside of what Christ and what he's given me? In other words, am I looking to something or someone, you know, giving way too much time, way too much energy, way too much imagination, way too much money to something that I believe is going to give me joy and hope and salvation that is not of Christ Jesus? What is that thing? That's a good question to ask constantly, right? Why? Why do I have you ask that question? Why do I ask that question? Well, let me give you uh, even a more tangible, let's think about discouragement and depression. Anyone ever been discouraged? Okay, one of you? Okay, just gonna be a terrible illustration. Apparently we've all I don't know what you're talking about. Depression, discouragement? No, don't know the thing. It's the air we breathe, people. Now I don't mean depression, like if you need, you know, professional counseling, medication, I'm not talking about if there's you know psychosomatic thing, but I'm talking about that that depression, that darkness, that no light, no feeling, no joy, but it might it's probably not rooted in a psychological, chemical kind of thing. But it's a discouragement, a depression that's coming because you're not getting something that you want that you believe will give you the ultimate joy that you need that's found outside of Christ. That's what I'm talking about. So you feel discouraged. You feel depressed. You're asking those questions What am I putting trust and loyalty and energy into that I believe is going to give me that joy and happiness that I think I need? What is that thing? Do you know when you get angry? Anger is a normal human emotion, by the way. But you know, as Paul says, don't sin in your anger. Like when it goes to other levels, right? Code three levels. That anger, usually underneath the anger, is something I can't have not getting, and now I'm lashing out. That's usually what's underneath that anger. Just so you know. I know it all too well when the kids want me and i come home and i just want to put my feet up and they're just losing their marbles and i lash out why am i lashing out because i'm your father and you need to obey your father right no i want comfort and a snack stop bothering me i imagine how my 530 hour was going to go and you're ruining that that's why i'm mad and discouraged what's underneath that asking those questions discouragement you didn't get the job you wanted the promotion what are you believing that if you get that promotion somehow your life is going to magically be better <coughs> hey you may have more time away from your family you may have more pressure you may, nothing wrong with, with promotions but you got to ask that question if you don't get it are you in the fetal position you know, discouragement's normal. Like, that's, okay, I wanted that promotion, I didn't get it. But, but is there something that goes deeper that you say, I want this promotion more than I want anything in life, and if I don't get it, that's idolatry. You're not going to Christ for your joy and your happiness. You're going somewhere else. As much as you tell yourself, that's not it, I'm just discouraged. It's normal human life. Yeah, but, but you're in the fetal position for weeks and weeks and weeks. Believe me, as a pastor who started a church from scratch, I know what that's like. If this thing doesn't go, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I have to deal with that all the time. So how do we apply the gospel in those situations? I remember that I'm loved by a holy God who doesn't see my value and worth based on what I achieve or success or how much money I have in the bank. That's an amazing God. How about family? I'll just do one other one. Family, friendships. So one group of people would say, you know, I'll call them the moralist. They become slaves to family and parental expectations. So their, their whole lives are built on, you know, what my family and what my friends think of me. It's this perception, it's performance. It's like, you know, I want to be cool. I want to be, you know, I want to see them that I'm successful, but you know, that can be enslaving, right? We've all probably dealt with that on some level. My parents are in the room, so you know it's a little awkward. But, but we've all dealt with that, right? We want Daddy to be happy. That's not, I mean, I'm honest about that. I want Dad to be proud. I mean, my jump shot didn't go where it needed to go, Dad. I'm, I broke your heart in that. But you know, Grandma should have married someone taller. That's just what that is. <laughs> But a relativist would also say you don't need family. They bring you down. They don't meet your needs, so just bail on them. You don't need friends. What do you need them for? Just be your own friend. Be your own guy. Be your own self-made man or woman, right? But, But here's how the gospel frees us from those Polar opposites is, I'm freed by a loving father, that I'm saved by a loving father. I now don't need total dependent on my family or friends to give me worth and value and identity. Also, I don't need to be hostile to them. I'm freed to love them and forgive them because Christ has loved and forgiven me. Nobody deserves the grace of God. That's a little free one this morning. Nobody. Even the people that have wronged you and hurt you and abused you. That's why as I've become a dad and... Gotten older, I'm just like, good gosh, I should have been nicer to my parents growing up. Stinking hard. Any amens to that? Amen. I'm like, man, I sound like my I sound like my father, and I'm just like, yeah, I, I know why he was stressed out all the time. Family vacations were a nightmare, right? All this money, and they're so ungrateful. You're just like, this is gonna be the best thing ever to spend all this money and time, and they're just like, Dad, yeah, this is lame. When can we play video games again? Right. That was me. Now it's my kids, right? But, but you realize they deserve grace because I don't deserve it. Christ forgave me. I didn't deserve it. But now I can rest in a loving, perfect Heavenly Father. Now I can love my father and my mother well is I don't have these enslaving expectations put on over me to be a perfect dad or a perfect husband, right? I'm finding my worth and my value and, my, and grace in God himself. So let's land the plane. Most of our problems, our sins, our idolatries, the, 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 the places where we find discouragement and lack of joy when there's no hope is rooted in a poor application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to frame it. It doesn't mean you don't believe the gospel, but there's one thing to just cognitively say, yeah, I believe, but to have it actually be applied in real time and space to actual moments in your life is a different reality where it gets deep in your heart and in your soul. Where we walk it out And we obey it, and we we serve joyfully because we know that we have everything we need in Christ. So even if I don't get that job, and even if parenting just feels overwhelming, or marriage feels overwhelming, or friends are just not getting along, or the job just stinks. I can find a greater joy that's greater than my job and greater than my family so that I can reverse it and go, I'm not putting all my emotional stock into that thing that's probably fading away, but I'm going to be able to love them freely and graciously and lovingly because my identity is not found in those things. They're found in Christ Jesus. So is there any way as we take the Lord's Supper to know if we are trusting in the wisdom and the knowledge of Christ Jesus? And Paul, as he does so often, says that last little piece, abounding in thanksgiving. Are you thankful? When we come to the table, the bread represents the broken body of Christ and the, blood, or the cup represents the blood of Christ atoning for our sins. Is there a thanksgiving in your heart? Thank you, Lord. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. I know I need you. My wisdom is lacking. My knowledge is lacking. I I know I need forgiveness. I know I, I haven't done everything you've asked of me. I need your grace every single moment of every single day. Is there a thanksgiving near your heart, your mind, your soul, your life that says, thank you, thank you, thank you? It's a good barometer, isn't it? And if there's not, lay that before the Lord. What? Why? What, what am I trusting in? what am I looking to? What, what thing am I grabbing onto that's not Christ? Where am I putting all my hope and all my, my life and my affection and my imagination? Is it something other than Christ? What are those things, Lord? Show me what those things are. I want to lay those at the foot of the cross this morning. And say, take them. I know you're gracious to forgive. Can we do that together? Can we do that together? Let, let's, let's just pray. And the way we take communion is we break off a piece of the bread dip it in the cup there'll be two, two servers in the front if you need any gluten-free nut-free bread there's some in the middle if you have allergies if you are a believer in Christ come and celebrate but let's just pray and just ask God to to take whatever those things are lord here they are we're laying them at the foot of the cross our discouragement, our depression, our, our, our hope that's in being a perfect parent or being a perfect husband or, 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 or wife or being a perfect mother or um, having that perfect job or whatever that thing is, God. We're laying that before you this morning because we want to walk in joy, a joy that comes from you. We want to walk in thanksgiving, God, and we know the, the deadly lies of the enemy that tells us that if you could just have something other than Christ, you'll be happy. So God, we lay those things down. Please forgive us. And we know, we know you're gracious to forgive because we know the cross proves proves it. All our sins, past, present, and future, are nailed to the cross of Christ. We don't have to perform anymore. We don't have to be something, but we can receive you now walk in you with thanksgiving in our hearts so help us lord in jesus name amen come and celebrate the lord's supper with us